Hello, and welcome to the Neff Canyon Ward podcast. My name is Tyler Slade, and I'm excited to bring you all the cool people of our neighborhood and ward. The goal of this podcast is for all of us to get to know each other better, to create unity through sharing our experiences with others in the gospel. Today, we are with Paul and Rosie Halliday. So, how long have you guys been in this house, in this ward? We moved in in 1968. So that was probably when this house was built. Yes. That's right. We were the first owners. So you, you, did you get a chance to build the house, or did, was it already built and you bought it? No. We bought the lot and then had the house built. Okay. Yeah, Leo Thorpe had built a house down the street, and uh, Paul Williams would like it, and we would like it, and we were kind of buying with each other and raising yeah. the price. Finally, we thought, we're not going to chase it. And the Williams had this lot. Okay. And so they traded this lot in on that house just two down the street. Okay. And so we talked with Leo and said, hey, would you build us a house on that lot and we'll buy it? There you go. He said, sure thing. So, so I'll tell you what. He charged us 10500 for the lot. Wow. I'll give you twenty thousand. <laughs> Car salesman. Yeah. And then he Watch built out. the house. I think the house um, bid was about fifty nine nine fifty. Wow. And then we added a few extras. That probably seemed like a lot. So we were oh yeah, then. seemed yeah. like a lot. So we got in up maybe seventy six thousand. Wow. It's worth a little more than that now. It's worth sure a lot is. of money. It's worth a lot Gosh, of money. Gosh, haven't things changed? Yes, you are absolutely correct. So 1968, you... 68. 68, you move in here. And uh, how many kids do you have? We have five children. Five children. Tell us a little bit about them. They, um, they were all had a bedroom, yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, that was important, right? It was. Yeah. They want they picked their own colors. And oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, our oldest was a girl, Susan. Okay. She's a school teacher, special ed. Okay. About ready to hang it up. Okay. And then our second one was Nancy, who works for us. Okay. And then the third one was Paul Jr. Okay. He works and, for you too, And uh, right? then the fourth one was uh, Diane. A nurse. And she's a registered nurse, retired. And our youngest was uh, Brent, lives just down the street. He's a CPA. So all the kids did well. Awesome. Now we have 15 grandchildren. 15 grandchildren and how many grades? And then grades? 26 great-grandchildren. Wow, so 15 plus 27. So we have a great family. 5 plus 2. That's a pretty good posterity there. Yep. That's fantastic. We used to have dinners and things here, but we're to the age now where we don't seem to be able to put that on anymore. But every semi-annual general conference, we uh, would have a brunch, and we'd have them come early. Rosie would make sourdough pancakes and waffles. Mm -hmm. We'd feed them, and then yep. we'd watch conference together. A conference it was, tradition. It was yes. really great. We did that for many, many years. We've started some in my but house. now, so. you know how it goes. Yeah, I do. 
Yep. Yeah, that's great. You probably noticed some changes yourselves. Yeah, you know, I we, we do something similar. My girls are all excited to come for conference weekend because we make a big breakfast and it's a big deal and they come back from college and spend the weekend you know, with us and yeah. conference is a big deal. So those traditions around conference, I think we talked about that in Our tradition's quorum. great. Yeah, they're fantastic. There's you no sure doubt. got some tall children. Yeah. Your girls are really My tall. My girls, uh, yeah, they're not vertically challenged at <laughs> all. So, so Paul, tell us about your profession. Okay, I still practice. Okay. And. Uh, oh, are you an attorney then? I'm an attorney. So if you're practicing at 93, like when do you actually stop practicing and start playing? Well, I don't plan <laughs> on stopping it. People ask me, when are you going to retire? And I said, well, my retirement and my experiment, experiment may be the same date. <laughs> That's when you retire. But I have a great bunch of uh, employees. And my grandson, uh, Benjamin Mann, Diane's son, he is just doing an exceptional job for the firm. And what kind and of firm is it? he's now got us in 10 states. Oh, wow. So he did that during the moratorium. So what year did you start to practice? I started practicing in June of 1952. Oh, wow. Not far after the war. So I just barely missed World War II. I got drafted and then uh, passed my physical. And then they said, well, Halliday, we think maybe we can win the war without you, but if we need you, we'll call you up. <laughs> They're right. And I thought, well, I'd like to get my military commitment met, so I joined the Utah Air National Guard. Okay. Had a great uh, six years there. Good. And then in my last quarter of law school, they activated the Utah Air National Guard to help with the Korean War. Oh, wow. So I went out to the airport in the morning and late morning after my classes, played soldier boy, and then uh, they sent us down to Clovis, New Mexico mm -hmm. to reactivate a closed B-29 airbase. Okay. And there were only about 50 or 60 of us down there rattling around on this huge base with no facilities. Wow. But it worked out fine because... I could do a lot of studying so I could pass my bar exam, which came along in so were you at the University the third of Utah? Week of October. Were you at the University of Utah then? Yeah, I went to the U. Yeah, yeah. Great law school. Yeah. So then so what then, kind of law? What kind of law is it that you practice? We, we do real estate primarily. Okay. So uh, we do foreclosures in 10 states and we defend bankruptcy filings and process those when people can't pay more many times they'll file bankruptcy right so it keeps us all busy and we sure seen the firm grow and lots of additional employees wonderful people so how often do you go into the into the office i go in typically every day wow i go in later but i go in every day you know, but I really like him, right? Rosie? I, my wow. busiest function these days, I used to cry sales, but I probably won't do that anymore. 
now that are back to being uh, processed and we could actually hold them at the courthouse. But my biggest job is signing full reconveyances, which are releases of mortgage. And I'll do anywhere from 300 to 400 every Friday. Oh, wow. Wow. So Lenise, our employee who works on these, she does most of her work at home, but she brings them in on Friday, and I had to change my signature. You got a quick one? And she really had a cute remark when I said, Lenise, if my English teacher could see how I'm scribbling <laughs> to sign my name now, she would be rolling over in her grave. And her comment was so cute. She said, well, everybody needs a little exercise. <laughs> Isn't that a that. cute response? I love that. That's fantastic. Well, doesn't, Rosie, do you go in with him? No. You no. used to? I used, I used to work there, too. Okay. But I, when the younger ones were coming up now, then I, it was time to quit. How long did you work there? Oh, 20 years, probably 18. After your kids were long yeah. time raised? Well, then it's great. When I got married, I was 21. Rosie, you were 20, probably still 22, weren't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I became an attorney at age 23, and we had our first child when I was 23. So we got started pretty young. You did. Yes, you did. To be an attorney at 23. Yeah, we've been married, what, 72 years maybe? Yeah. Yeah. How many, That's amazing. How, how many she put argue, up with me in for 72, that long. In 72 years, Paul, how many times have you been right in an argument? Well, I started practicing in 52, so that's 48, 58, 68. About 69 years in practice. At home or at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I still haven't quite learned how to do it. That's so I'm awesome. still just practicing. Love it. I have a great signature, and I used to write Paul M. Halliday when we only had a few dozen things to sign, but then I had to shorten it. So now it's a P and a scribble. Awesome. Well, Paul, you're famous because I Anyway, it was great. I remember getting your uh, list of foreclosures. Remember mm. you'd send those out every week? Yeah. And uh, before I even met you. Uh, oh, is that right? Oh, well, that's Because we'd get your list. Yeah, that was We really... appreciate everyone that comes to the sales and bids. I bet, yeah. Our clients just want their customers to make their mortgage payments. Yeah. They don't want to have to foreclose. No. And the no. last thing they want to do is take it back. Right. So they appreciate people that come and bid. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes there's a big equity. Yeah. Occasionally the loan is very, very old and maybe has a big second. Yeah. And if the second isn't on the stick and doesn't protect themselves, there may be hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand equity sitting there. Yeah. And that's when I have a lot of bids. Yeah. And that's kind of fun. Yeah, I'm sure. But as I say, I don't conduct sales anymore. I'm a little beyond going up to the courthouse and back all the time. Yeah. 
So, so tell me about yourselves. I'd like to learn you guys a little better. All right, as soon as we're finished, we need to hear how you met. How'd you meet? How Rosie? did you two meet, Rosie? How did you meet? <laughs> I have a really fun story. Um, I got a job at the Tribune and Telegram when I was 16. And I worked in the circulation department and answered the phone, routed stops and change of address and so on. And during the war, even carried a route or two when we couldn't get delivery people. So Rosie worked at Continental Bank. And uh, she was a statement teller, weren't you, Rosie? Yeah, cashier. Continental Bank had a great job. And uh, the Tribune and Telegram had their bank account over there, Continental. And uh, my cousin... Bob Halliday was the cashier, and he needed someone to work evenings to take in the money. So he talked to Rosie and hired her to come and work from, what, maybe 5 or 5.30 or so? Yeah. Till maybe 7 or 8 at night. My desk in the circulation department was about 15 feet in front of the ladies' restroom. So one day I saw this real cute girl yeah. going to the restroom. And I thought, wow, look at that. <laughs> so we got acquainted. And when I wasn't super busy, the cashier was just another 40 or 50 feet away, closer to the front of the building. I'd go visit with Rosie and... So pretty soon we started dating in what, 46, Rosie? Yep. Yeah. Wow. So you dated for how many years? About three or four, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Three or four years. It's been a great life, hasn't it, honey? Yep. Well, what's the key to a happy marriage, would you say, Rosie? <laughs> well, you've been married 70? 72? 72 years. There, there's a number of things that are helpful. And uh, probably the thing that comes to my mind first, since I handled hundreds of divorces in my earlier practice, and I would say emotional immaturity to where you'd fight or you couldn't resolve problems or you couldn't get a good job and hold it, and you didn't know how to get along with people. It seemed to me that just about at the root of all my divorces was what I would call emotional immaturity. Hmm. A few other different things, of course. I had some really funny uh, divorce experiences. I had one where they fought everything between the two of them, and it finally turned on one can of tomato soup. Wow. He wanted it. She wanted it. They couldn't agree. They fought back and forth. And boy, you just have to be patient. Yeah. Wow. Rosie, what would you say? What do you think the secret is? <laughs> I guess just agreeing. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. 
It's not worth the fight. Agree. Yeah, agree. Well, and you've got children. Yeah. You think of them. Yeah. Well, you guys are good examples to us. Well, you and your wife, she's a sweetheart. You have to really be good to each other, don't you? Yeah. And you can't take life so seriously, and you don't want to argue and fight over things. I remember in our first apartment, which was a wonderful, beautiful place, it was the Grayland Apartments at 205 2nd Avenue. Hmm. And we had an apartment on the top floor, the third floor, southeast corner. And we had a wonderful view of Roland Hall and all the mountains and everything. We had big windows that went down to about seven or eight inches off the floor and the table on which we would eat right next to it. And so we just thoroughly enjoyed that apartment. It was just wonderful. It had a garbage chute. When you had garbage, you'd open this door in the kitchen and open it, make sure your garbage was in a bag of some sort, drop it down mm. the chute. Mm. They had a garbage can in the basement to catch it all. Yeah. Well, sure, interesting. Awesome, huh? awesome. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey in life, your you know, testimony of the gospel. I had to work to put myself through school and then when Rosie and I got married, I also had her help. But nevertheless, the job I had at the Tribune and Telegram required me to work Sundays. And that's never a good thing to do. Right. But I had little choice because it was either work Sundays or go get another job. And uh, Sunday involved starting work uh, about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and we would load up the trucks with newspapers, go out to the various corner areas where the carriers would pick it up and drop it off, and then we'd open the phones at about 8 o'clock in the morning, might have been even earlier, might have been 7, and people who missed their newspaper would call us. And so we would take their name and address, and we had district supervisors who earlier could go out and deliver it. And then later we would, uh, as employees, we would go out and deliver the missed newspapers. Mm -hmm. And they bought me a red motorcycle, a Harley-Davidson, a three-wheeler. Okay. Like you've seen the police have. Yep, yep. And... Uh, I would use that. They thought it would save a lot of money. It really didn't. And about once a month, someone would whip off a left turn in front of me, and I'm jamming on the brakes and looking for a place to dodge. But I never put a dent in that. And I put at least 100 miles a day because I used it both earlier in the day to deliver newspapers to the bus stations and then to deliver missed newspapers. So I put roughly 100 miles a day, got along great, never put a dent in it, but it was not as cheap as a vehicle. Yeah. Hmm. And they had green 41 Ford pickup trucks that we used along with the motorcycle. And I took Rosie out on a date in a company car in one of these green... Ford pickup trucks. Yeah. 
Not the Harley. And it was so light in the tail end, you could spin rubber in all three gears. <laughs> and they wanted you to do so many things and to cover so many different activities. We were just always going like crazy. Mm. Just breaking the speed limit constantly. So how important has the gospel been in your life? Well, when I got behind, I, of necessity, not going to church, um, I still believed in the church and wanted to be active, but couldn't. Yeah. And so, as time went on, the age at which I should have uh, become an elder, I wasn't active, so I was still a priest. So, we had a couple of children in about, I guess, 53, 54 or so, and um, we had a great person who worked with me as a senior ironic individual, Arthur Armstrong, whose wife worked with my mother as a school teacher, and he was such a great inspiration to me, and worked with me and taught me, and I did uh, become an elder, and we had a wonderful bishop. Um, what was Bodell's first name? Do you remember? Bodell. Anyway, Bishop Bodell, a contractor. He was just wonderful to work with, and so I was encouraged to become an elder, and then I had to wait a year before I could do some various things, go through the temple and so on, but I can remember blessing. Was it three children that I blessed? Two. Two, two children, Susan and Nancy. And then Rosie was a Catholic. Oh, nice. Yeah. So tell and, us about your conversion. Yeah, we'd love to hear about that, Rosie. Well, I, you know, they said, oh, that'll never work, Rosie, a Catholic. Because I was, I went to Catholic church. I walked up to the, Cathedral, because we didn't live far from it there on the avenue. Cathedral of the Madelines, where you yeah. went. And I went with her sometimes. Yeah. She'd but, kneel, but I'd stay seated. But having the children and seeing them, I thought, we all have to go to the same church. So then I, Paul's uncle was president, was by president then back there uh, by Woodbury? Yeah. Yeah. He come to town every year, you know, for vacation. And for two years, he gave me some lessons because he was a mission president back there east. Okay. I think in Kansas. Yeah. And so, I, and I kept going then with Paul and his mother and the family and it, I thought we got to all be together. Love so it. that's how we are. I had a talk with Rosie before we got really super serious and before we ever married. And I said, we need to be of the same religion. So do you think that you would be able to join the LDS church? <laughs> and she thought about it a bit. And then she finally said, yeah, I think I'd be willing to do that. And uh, we want to have the same religion together. Yeah. So then with that commitment from Rosie, our dating proceeded and 
we did get married, and she's mentioned everyone who helped us, and sure enough, she did uh, join the church, and I got to baptize her, and oh, I got neat. to give her the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that was just wonderful. You're a pretty good missionary. We <laughs> went down to the uh, mission down at First Temple, South and Fourth East Temple Square. And we went in that baptism is where you baptized. Oh, yeah, at. the baptismal font. Down uh -huh. there, yeah, and Temple Square. Yeah. Yeah, yep. and, and, right, my, yeah. and our two children, you blessed them at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember well when I got baptized, and uh, I left my eyes open for some reason. <laughs> and I remember going down into the water and watching it close over me. And then the person that was baptizing me, it wasn't my dad, raised me up and the water went away. And that was a really fun experience to have that when I got baptized. Hmm. It was just great. That's fantastic. We do have lots of fun experiences, don't we? But I wanted to be an airplane pilot. Hmm. My uncle, Uncle Vern was the manager of the Salt Lake Airport from about 1928 until about 1946 when he got pulled into the Air Force and got sent up to Hill Field. But I spent lots of time at the airport and we had our run of the place and we could go up into the control tower. There was only one employee. And back then only the airlines had two-way communication. Private aircraft only had receivers mm. and so they had a signal gun like one of the big movie lights and so they could give a plane a red or a green light and so when you wanted to take off you'd pull out from where your plane was parked and hope that the tower operator was watching if he wasn't you'd do a few 360s <laughs> and then if it was safe for you to taxi out, he'd give you a green light. And then uh, you also had an idea which runway you ought to be using. We didn't have very many way back then. So you'd go out to the end of the runway and uh, to stay just off the runway and you'd wait until you got a green light before you took off. Hmm. So when I was a student pilot, we would approach the airport from the west at about maybe 800 or 1,000 feet high. And the tower operator would be watching and he'd say, aircraft entering the pattern acknowledge and you'd waggle your wings and he'd say, Roger, you're clear to enter, land on runway such and such, follow so and so. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That is very things interesting. Change? You had to waggle to communicate. Yeah, you just wiggle your wings back and forth to acknowledge whatever he was telling you. Wow. Rosie, have you ever oh, been I up had a lot air? of fun flying. Have you been in a plane with Paul? Yeah. Well, that's great. How you, fun. When's the last time you flew? Paul, oh, did you fly periodically? It's been years and years, but the last flying I did was with sailplanes. Hmm. That was really fun up at Heber City. Yeah. But I'll tell you one little real quick experience. The plane that I used to learn to fly in was a Taylor craft. 
and it was a side-by-side -side airplane, and it had a 65-horsepower Lycoming engine. Jeez. And um, the best landing I ever made was the one when I had about seven and a half hours of dual instruction, and I knew I was close to soloing, and I landed that Taylor craft just perfectly. You couldn't even tell it touched down. So all of the axes were just perfect. It had a tail wheel and two main mm -hmm. gear. And I fully stalled it out and you couldn't even feel it touch the ground. The only reason you knew I'd landed is you could hear the wheels rolling along the runway. And my instructor, uh, John L. Ruff, he said, I think you're ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So wow. I went out and soloed and had a great time with it. And one day I heard some pilots while I was still a student who had been flying an open cockpit Fairchild to place. And they related how they did tailspins. You had to learn to do them to qualify to get your license. Mm -hmm. So they did 11 revolutions, 11 turns. And I thought, I'm going to try that. So I climbed up to about 92 or 9,300 feet, which takes a while out west away from whatever traffic there was. And I did my careful clearing turns, made sure there was no one below me, and pulled her up and chopped the throttle and stalled it out. And I like spinning to the right the best. You could give it a little burst of throttle just to put it into the spin a little bit faster. And the most fun about a tailspin is that first falling into the turn because it seemed like you were maybe going to go upside down. Hmm. Anyway, to get your license, you need to do a three-turn spin and recover within a half revolution. So I noticed as I was spinning, I'm watching everything carefully, that um, I was only losing 180 to 200 feet per revolution. And after the fifth turn, it didn't keep spinning faster. It just settled right down, seemed to really enjoy it. So the recovery altitude was 1,500 feet. So when I got to 1,500, I partially neutralized the controls, and it responded instantly, and I thought, oh, what the heck. So I put it a couple more. back into the spin and went on <laughs> down to seven or 800 feet and did 22 turns, my claim to fame. <laughs> Never got dizzy. Wow. Well, been and it quite was a so pilot. fun. I just really enjoyed it. And I like to do hedge hopping out by the beach at Great Salt Lake. And the feeling when you're about 10 feet off the ground or the water when you leave the land, the beach, and you're over the water, it's really kind of a scary sensation because you think, uh-oh, if anything happens now, it's yeah. going to be mighty wet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've talked enough, so... No, this has been fabulous, yeah. <laughs> you know. it's uh, our, our, our time's up, but uh, this has been so good to hear these stories. Rosie, what a life, huh? This is a lot of... A lot of fun with uh, with this young guy, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me tell you one more thing about Reduce's experience. Um, we lived in um, the Seventh Ward, just down the street, and our across-the-street neighbor was Einer Johnson, who was an architect, 
kind of a student architect at the time, but he designed that building that the Seventh Ward was meeting in, and it was so beautiful. Big windows yeah. where you could look out and see Mount Olympus. Olympus. Yeah. And uh, I just loved that ward. And uh, back then we had Sunday school presidents, and I was the president of the Sunday school for a while, and they had a little uh, addition to the program that Reed Wood started where he gave a little spiritual thought as he was conducting. And I learned to do that and had a great time with it. And I really hated to leave that ward. In fact, when we moved up here in 68, for a while I was still busy going down there. I wasn't quite ready to mm. <laughs> make the move. Mm. But um, I also uh, served in our ward in a bishopric with um, Bill Edwards when he was oh, bishop, yeah. and uh, Dick oh, Gordon well, was we moved in. first counselor. Who was the first counselor? Richard Gordon. Okay. Dick Gordon. Okay. And uh, Glenn Hogan had been the second counselor, and he was moving. Glenn and Loray were moving, and so they sat up there on the stand looking out. They got inspired uh, to call me, and uh, Richard Gordon, I believe, was the one that was the moving influence, and he leaned over to Bill and he says, well, how about having Paul Halliday replace Glenn Hogan? Hmm. So I really enjoyed serving in a bishopric. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so much fun. Yeah. And the big, important, serious stuff you defer and hand it off to the bishop, <laughs> and you just have a good time as a counselor. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, well, we'll uh, fun to hear. we'll wrap up this recording. Um, where Where do you live at well, here? I'm so I'm just up Adonis around the corner here, um, not too far at all. Uh, so Ad you go up to Adonis, take a right, and I'm the uh, house right. Do you know the Do you remember the Osterlo? Yeah. I'm right next to the Osterlo home. You are. You're the yeah. one that entertains cougars. Yes, I entertain the cougars. You're, that's the one. Yes. That's what you yep. know. Didn't they chase a deer into your backyard and killed it back yep. there? right in my backyard. So I, I got it all on video. Oh. And Weren't you afraid? Woke up to a uh, three cougars in my backyard. Oh, was it three? There was three of them all with so blood. So it was probably a mother and yeah, two, two teaching, children. Teaching her two kids. And they had blood all over their Oh, mouths. boy. Yeah. I and mean, that's something to wake up to at 6 o'clock in the morning. And you recorded like, all that, huh? I did, yeah. yeah. Wow, but that's kind of priceless. Yeah, quite where, the experience. Where do you live at, Gary? You've been there. Do you know, uh, we live at the bottom of the street where the ward is, the on bottom. Gary Road, at the bottom. At the bottom of Gary's Road? It's my road, Rosie. <laughs> Did you know that was named after me? It was, Gary. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but that's for... Well, now, your parents lived in the ward earlier. Yeah, so they, uh, Jay Hughes, bought our family home, and that was the home that oh, had okay. the cougar that broke through oh, the basement. Okay. So that was our family home. Really? So cougars everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rosie, you must be quite a cook because you've both stayed so healthy. 
for a long time. Yeah. Is that what she you attribute that cook. to? I can vouch for that. What do we eat? But <laughs> when I was maybe in my 30s, we had a CPA that we rented one of our extra rooms to, to Theron Moffat. And he was pretty knowledgeable. And at that time, I was drinking for breakfast a warm eggnog. And so Theron said, there's something about an egg, egg white, that isn't good for you unless it's cooked. And I thought, oh. So I did a little research on that, and I found out that there's the substance in raw egg white called avidin, which coats your stomach and your intestines and keeps them from absorbing a lot of B vitamins and other nutrients. Hmm. And that started me off on a lifetime of Health, huh? research and study and book buying and reading. And I take four or five or six monthly health newsletters. I'm really well informed <clears throat> with all of the supplements that are out there. I've been using those for Rosie and myself. And I can vouch for the fact that if you make careful use of a good diet and lots of supplements that are helpful and add some exercise, that yes, it will help you live longer. Well, and you're, you're, you're both so sharp. And you still work. Maybe that a lot, We still know too. who we are. We still know where <laughs> well, that's been fun to talk with you. Yeah. We just love you guys. Amen. The holidays. No well, doubt. So good to have you there greeting everybody at church, too. Oh, we love everybody that. Everybody looks really forward enjoy to that. it. That was yeah. a good job to give old people, tell them. That's a great job. The Petersons <laughs> yeah. on the other side yeah, they sure like love theirs it. too, yeah. I, I teased uh, uh, Boyd. Boyd Peterson and said, hey, we're going to yeah. talk to Bishop into you know, giving you another assignment. Yeah, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's your job. I think he has Doris opening and closing the doors. Oh, and he has a hard time. Over on standing. my side, I typically do that. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in a little better shape mentally than Rosie because of what I do. Her working memory is not quite what it ought to be, but she gets along well with it. She has a better memory of many things a long time ago, but her Short-term memory's not all that great. Um, my mind, as far as I feel, is even better than it's ever been. A little slower, but much, much better. Yeah, that's amazing. And yes. I don't get embarrassed anymore at things. That's fantastic. But physically, she's in better shape than I am. She can get up and down and mm. so on. And my knees and legs and the rest of the body physically doesn't work all that great. So if you have any ideas, <laughs> well, we're just them following you guys. But Rosie would always, uh, for a lot of years, would call you to say the prayer. She was in charge of it. Oh, yeah. It was always you fun getting a, a call. You were a great one, Gary. I always look forward to Rosie calling yeah. me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us and, and, oh, well, and having this conversation. Uh, it's getting a little bit late, so we'll we'll, we'll wrap this up. I appreciate but thank all you, so you doing much. the work. Absolutely.